Man, it's an exciting day for me. So you know I'm going to open up in Malachi 4. <laughs> you can say there when you're there. Today I'm going to share a short word with you that's on my heart. Uh, and then we're going to move on into some fantastic times of ordination, prayer, prophetic words, right? Encouragement as one body. Amen. Amen. Malachi chapter four, verse one. Are you there? It says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evil and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire. It's always good to get a good reminder, right? And in case you were wondering, said the Lord Almighty, not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go out and frolic like a well fed calf. That's about the only time you're going to see me go out and frolic like a well fed calf. Then you will trample on the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the Torah, the law, the instructions of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws that I gave him at Horeb. By the way, the place that I made covenant with them, with Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the sons to the children, or the, I'm sorry, the fathers to the children, or the fathers to the sons, and the hearts of the sons to the fathers, or else I would come and strike the land with a total destruction. (laughs) You ever get this picture like we're holding something back? Well, if this is true for your life, then you are. In the time in history when church has become mechanical, when men of God have settled for mediocrity, in the days ahead look like the days of Ahab and Jezebel. Where leadership is begging the land to be cursed. I love that our Bible never fails to remind us that although there may be an attempt for men who lead like Ahab, the passive puppet, or women right beside them leading like Jezebel, who couldn't seem to do anything but surround herself with eunuchs, men and women that could not reproduce anything, much less the will of God. I love that the answer remains the same. If the fathers in a dark and depraved generation would lay down their lives, their own ambitions and their own self-interest for their sons, the sons would reciprocate and lay down their ambitions and invest in their fathers. And together we would become a reckoning for the gates of hell. Sounds like Matthew 10, 39, right? If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you, well, if you give up your life for me, then you'll find it. As a matter of fact, the Lord said through Malachi, if this doesn't happen, then the land would be utterly cursed and without hope. But, come on, somebody say but. But, but if there was at least a remnant of men, I mean, just a small portion, I mean, just a few 
If there was at least just a remnant of man that would rise and say, I will answer the call. I will do it. No matter if everyone around me not do it, I will answer the call. Yahweh would empower them to hold the line while sons of God would arise and take over this generation for King Yeshua. That's the promise. Is that you this morning? We love to quote Psalm 127. I'm going to do it for you here this morning. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5 in the NIV says, Behold, we're just singing that. Behold, behold, henna. It means a surprising, vivid expectation of hope. Behold, behold what? Behold, sons. It's interesting having an age gap in our leadership. Like when I say like, you know, behold, like when Mufasa hold up Simba, right? You're like, behold, a son. Some of us get it and others don't. <laughs> behold, sons are what? A heritage. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Watch this. They... They shall not be put to shame when they contend with his enemies in the city gates. They. Today's a special day. Did I say that? Great. I'm going to say it again. It's a special day. Today we have fathers and sons in the natural in the room. And we also have fathers and sons in the faith in the house. Amen? Amen. Because it's Landon Bryant Ray's ordination day. Hallelujah. And it's also the day that we get to be reminded that we as the sons and daughters of the living God have been selected by the king of glory to carry out this prophetic Malachi mandate. To live in such a way that keeps the walls of this generation from collapsing into a curse. This is our great honor. And we get to display that this morning. To hold the line together. Landon. Do we hold the line together, brother? Hallelujah. Yes, we do. We get to hold the line together, both fathers and sons, sons and fathers who would contend with their enemies, even the enemies in their own gates. Today, you get to be a witness to yet another son arising in the faith to take the stand on the front line and to say to the ways of Ahab and his passive leadership, hell no, not on my watch. And to Jezebel and her seducing ways, I will not stand alone, but I will stand shoulder to shoulder with those who are heirs to the kingdom. Fathers, are you with me this morning? Sons, are you with me this morning? Then turn with me to the epic book of Romans. The most challenging chapter of Romans 8. That's going to cause you to be transformed or remain as you are today. Where we'll get our title for today's sermon. Say co-heirs when you get there. Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to work through 17. I'm going to do my due diligence this morning in in a... In the fastest way I can. And you'll see what that looks like. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you will live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, Pastor Kaysen, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. I love that because that goes both ways. He also shares in your suffering. But I don't want to talk to you about verse 14 this morning. That states that those who are led by the spirit are children of God, because I don't want to pastor you about what that means if you're not. Pastor Devin, Pastor Kaysen, and Pastor Landon, well, they do that much better than I do. I don't want to spend time today on verse 15 that clearly states that if you live in an unconscious state of fear, that you are a slave to those fears and are apparently being robbed of what your sonship could offer. Now, I don't want to spend time on that. But I do. I do want to spend a short opportunity to remind you that if you relate to God solely as your provider in heaven or your savior of your past sins solely or your get out of judgment to come free card solely or your ticket to a platonic utopia in the sky called heaven solely. Instead of a father who has originated you and not only is seated in the heavens, but also is seated upon the throne of your heart and is Lord and owner of your mind, will, and emotions and every action in your life. You know, some of you got good daddies in here, right? Yeah. Like an ever present daddy who prays for you, cares for you, labors for you, will live and die for his son. You know what I'm talking about, right? then you have yet to receive the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. And if you have not received that spirit, then I want to ask you, what spirit did you receive? Romans is going to challenge us this morning, and we didn't come here to be coddled. We came here to be encouraged and grown. Amen? Amen. But, say but, if you have received the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, then are you the only one? No. Are y'all timid in here? We didn't receive the spirit of timidity either. I mean, are you the only one? No. Right. And if you are in this together, then what does that actually look like? Right? We get these real big Christianese languages going, right, with all this token terminology, but we never really live in it. Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the spirit of children of God and the spirit you received did not make you slaves so that you would live again in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption of sonship. Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If. What an ending word. If. If demands what? 
if demands, if not. Right? You ever read this like this? Or you just get the encouragement from it and you're like, whoo, that felt good. He called me a children, a son, a son, a child. If. You got an if slide? It'll get delayed. But let me help you with this. Let me pick on the word if for a minute. Are any teachers in the house? Any teachers in the house? If is a conditional conjunction. Yeah, I had to look that up. But if expresses a condition which is merely hypothetical and separate from all experience in indicating a mere subjective possibility. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Wow. Meaning like if you're a, a, in Hebrew it's been right, a son. Right. If you are a son, all men are technically children of God because God created him. Right. Luke 15 says this. Right. Two different sons. But does that make them sons? But you are a son biblically. Right. You are a son of God in your Bible. You're not a son of God unless you were fathered by him. And in your Bible, you were only a son of the one you acted like. I didn't say that. Actually, John said that in 1 John 3.10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Let me ask you something. Who's he writing to when he's writing to the Romans? Is he writing to unbelievers or believers? believers. He's writing to believers. What a concept. They need to be told, like your children need to be told how to love you back. They need to be told you must love in a familial way. Or it's not godly love. Muslims do the right things, don't they? (laughs) Yeah, divided audience. Some of them. Muslims do the right things, right? But they're sons of the devil's will. It's clear. And so are those who say they love Jesus, do the right things, but do not love to operate inside the body of Christ in a familial way. It's no different. Get a little global. That'll help you out. And this is why you can be a Christian your entire life and never experience the beautiful truth that Romans 8 is trying to tell you. We're going to see that in a minute. Because first you must perceive God as your father and then receive and interact with him as a son. If not, then your condition will never line up with your position and you will live your entire life with an identity crisis that we have found to be an epidemic in the land. Amen. That means you'll only re- that's that means you'll only reflect a distorted image, never producing true sons and find yourself to be a lonely old man and woman contending in the enemy's gates all by yourself. Why? Because when we read Psalm 127, we think heritage is only those who come from our own body. But the Bible begs to differ. It's called being a co-heir. I found a better way. I found an excellent way, a more excellent way. It's called being co-heirs together. Are you with me this morning? 
then you can turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. You can say co-heir when you get there. Man, y'all sound Cajun. <laughs> Brings me back great comfort. <laughs> We're in this together. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, yeah, the ones we were singing about, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Does your translation say anything different than by his son? Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the world, by the word of his power. I'm going to just keep going on this one. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he had inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Did we not hear a prophetic word today that says the Lord's going to make you like him in every way? It's why the son came in the flesh to demonstrate to you what you're to become. Or the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and forever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. That's an interesting insight since Jesus himself has companions. And you, Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels did he ever, has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits set out to serve? Set out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? Wow. What did he say in verse one? Particularly in verse two. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Let me pick on that word by for a minute since I did so with if. By. The word by is a preposition. Amen. Somebody's like, I know what that is. Saints, there's only one way to perceive, achieve, and receive the inheritance. And that's by placing yourself in the shoes of a son and saying, Daddy, how are we actually going to accomplish this together? By his son. By is a preposition. In, on, at, by, any place or thing, which is the primary idea of rest. Particularly with the meaning of end or within. 
So we like to re, we like to read co-heir as being beside Jesus, right? Together, but the truth is, were you inside of Jesus when he was on a cross? Was he a substitutionary offering for you? Well, then what's changed? What's changed? Bye. So like a sailor in a ship or, right, unfortunately in the Western perspective, a Jew in a synagogue, a pedestrian on a corner street or a family in a home, right? Prisoner in a prison, shopper in a market, dead man in a tomb, right? These, all these things are coupled together. But let's be honest, putting you in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? Yeah, and putting a child of God in the kingdom, Paul is saying, doesn't make him a son. At least this is what Paul's going to convey, and I'm going to show you here. Pastor Kaysen always says, right belief begets right behavior. All right? That's that Baptist in him. <laughs> right belief begets right behavior. So this means that Jesus, like, set you up for success. The father sent his son that you might become just like him. And the son came that you might be born again into his father's image and his likeness. It is the very goal. It's, it's your very goal now, not your very goal in heaven. Which begs the question and brings us to what I really want to talk about today. And that's verse 16 of Romans chapter 8. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with, with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. I don't believe there's any need to explain what an heir is. We get that. We get that part. But I want to ask you, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Yes. Are you a son of God? Good, because in this last days, it's what the father is using to speak to this lost generation. That means it's like louder than the best sermons, louder than the, the biggest music worship mu uh, movement, louder than all those things. Yahweh is using the movement movement of the arising of sons of God to cure a broken generation that's in need of healing. If you are sons, then you are what, Romans says? Heirs. You received a heritage. An allotted portion. And what did Psalm 127 tell us a heritage was? Sons of God. Romans 8.17 says that part of that heritage indeed is God himself and the relationship that you enjoy with him. But you cannot receive God without receiving his son. Sure. Verse 17 also says that you are heirs of God, but that you are co-heirs with Christ. Hebrews 11.9 displays this in the same word. Jacob and Isaac were heirs with Abraham. What, was a, what, what belonged to Abraham 100% was 100% their inheritance too, our heritage too, generationally. Do we get that? Yeah. 
Ephesians 6, 3, uh, 3, 6 says that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel and her promises. Her promises are now our promises, or at least we hope so, don't we? 1 Peter 3, 7 uh, uh, paints this in a picture of a husband and wife. Husband and wives have become joint heirs or co-heirs together with one another in the grace that is called that covenant union that you have. Every time your Bible mentions the word co-heir, it is in the context of receiving other people into your life. Because you cannot receive the father without receiving his son and you cannot receive the son without receiving his body here on earth. Hebrews 10.5 said it like this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering I have not desire, but a body that you prepared for me. A body that you prepared for me. What if we stop making the scripture metaphorical and let it just lead us as it should? You prepared a body for me called the body of Christ. Wow. Wouldn't that make sense when he says you need to be immersed or baptized into the body of Christ? What if you're not? Hmm. You prepared a body of Christ for me here on earth for me to learn about his nature. Anybody learn a little bit more about Jesus when they finally commit it to a body? Learn to love the unlovable. Learn to get sharpened. Get some correction. Feels like affection, right? Yeah, I thought so. Maybe when we started seeing the body of Christ as the actual body of Christ, we'd stop buying her big houses and celebrating her for her talents only. Or just fall in love with her, flaws and all. The body of Christ prepared for him was a body prepared for us. Somebody say us. Jesus is the head. Amen. Amen. Well, he's in heaven and his body's here on earth and it's alive and well. And you know what? The body of Jesus Christ is not impotent. He reproduces. And his desire is that we would do that together. Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Some of yours says fellow heirs. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we might also share in his glory. Friends, so many have settled for inheriting God because of the debt that he could pay off for you. And just stop there. Or the eternal home that he can provide for you. But you know what we call that on earth? If it stops there, we call those sugar daddies. That's not an Abba revelation. That's a sugar daddy. And that's not our God. The church of the living God has and will always be marked by those who were fully invested in making better sons. Not better methods. In a time in history when churches become mechanical and its leaders spend its investment on methods, we're just going to make better sons. In a generation when men have sold their souls to the God of personal self-achievement and the fathers in the faith are sold out to see those who are following them exceed them, or rather the fathers would instead be willing to lay down their lives so that those who are coming behind them would in fact exceed them. In those times, in those places, we get to stand today. 
Because of this, the Bible promises that neither of us, the fathers nor the sons, will be without want when we're contending with our enemies in the city gates. If this is your life. I'm wondering why Paul takes the pains of making sure that you knew that there was actually a difference between what you inherited from God and what you can inherit by participating in this life together with King Jesus, the son. Well, unfortunately, I tell you, I don't know, but I have a suspicion it had to do with his heritage. I have a suspicion that it had to do with a heritage that he realized that King Jesus was building in his life. He called them sons. Yeah. Titus, my son. Yeah. Timothy, my true son. Onesimus, my son. My heritage, my yeah. sons. So what does it mean to be co-heir with Christ? That's a big question. It's a big question, but I'm going to tell you what it means to me today. It's what, I'm, it's what I'm experiencing. Every time I see a new son that begins to walk alongside me in the ministry that we were called to serve. Yeah. Hebrews 2.10 says it like this. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, King Jesus, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he... Who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And in the midst of the congregation, I'll sing your praise. I'll sing your praise. I'll sing your praise. Man, he'll sing over you. The son sings over sons. The son sings over sons. Man, I hope you fathers do. There was a time in my life when I loved King Jesus with all my heart. I knew that I was going to go to heaven and be blessed. Right? The Lord even gave me a wife, a beautiful family, and all those things. And I was some kind of excited that he forgiven me of my past sins. Took a penalty away that I could not figure out how to do so myself. And then there was a time in my life that happened. That I pray happens to you if it has not. Galatians 4 says it better for me than I can. So turn with me and say co-heir when you're in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. I mean, that the heir... He just picks up, just pick up the chapter four. As long as he is a child, the words infant, is no different from a slave, though he owns everything. I don't know if you ever realized that that might be you, but if you don't believe it's a thing, then you never will realize that it could be you. I mean, if the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different is no different from the slave although he owns the whole inheritance why that really causes me to wonder could i be a slave even though i possess the kingdom could i <laughs> well apparently anybody ever okay this is gonna be a generational thing again right anybody know who orphan annie was yeah. 
Hey, that was at least 75% of the room. <laughs> orphan Annie, right, was adopted into a wealthy family, yet always plagued with an orphan mentality, even though her parents were, like, like it was a real person, right? Was really not dead. They were just divided, off doing their own thing and broken. So when I read this scripture, I'm thinking, yeah, man, I just like walked into the wealth of the kingdom and all that the Lord has to provide with is he himself and Christ Jesus. Yet do I actually take advantage of that sonship? In today's corner culture, men die and then give their inheritance to their children. But that's not kingdom culture. In the kingdom of God, you have received full access to your inheritance now, but you may be enslaved by your own immaturities or self-centered approach to this life. Verse 2, but he is under, the guard, under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might, somebody say might, might. we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has set the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. Let me make this complicated verse a little simple for you today. I received an inheritance of God the day I became a child of God. But as I as I find myself enslaved by the ABCs, the rudimental if that's a word, right? Principles of this world, logic and all these other things, right? If I'm enslaved by these things and never live in that supernatural truth that's right there before my eyes, right? And settle for things like going to church, being a good boy, learning the right Christianese language, putting on my best face in front of those, right, that I'm posturing in front of, doing the right thing, at least in public. Or surrender myself to every man-made method that's not found in the word of God. Hmm. I remain a prisoner of my own infancy. I remain a prisoner of my own infancy because I need to grow up and realize that this life is not about the measure of inheritance that you can receive from God in this life. But rather about the measure of heritage that you can leave behind through you. I probably should read Psalm 127 again to you. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior or children in one's use. Blessed is the man who, who, who's, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They, somebody say they, they, they shall not be put to shame when they contend in the enemy gates. I see a few silver haired brothers and sisters in this place. Wouldn't it be nice to know when the enemy attacks that you got some fresh legs beside you? No one reads Psalm, this Psalm and envisions the very sharp arrows in the quiver never being launched. No one sees the arrows in the hands of a father never being launched. No, we see the arrows in the hands of the fathers launching them directly at the enemies, piercing them in the heart. And when this happens, they ward off the shame 
that has robbed many of their inheritance, but in the name of Jesus, not us. We know what it means to be co-heirs. Their, their co-heir status is their heritage. Nobody knows what co-heirs means because they don't live it. But when you begin to live it, fathers and sons, sons and fathers, all of a sudden you realize what it means to be in this thing together. For some of you, this is the reality. And for others, it's just a biblical concept. Let me clarify for those of you who think this is just a concept. In Galatians 4.1, it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. Child. This is Nepios. It's an unenlightened infant, simple-minded, immature infant. As long as, there, as you remain simple-minded, immature, infant-like in the kingdom, you're no different from a slave. The definition says one who cannot speak, hence an infant, child, baby, watch this, without any definite limitation of age. This is not about age. This is not about it. This is why you can walk up to one of these 20 something year olds in this house and you can feel the anointing on their life and you can get taught by them, although you might be 30 years older than them. This also means that although you might have been journeying in the kingdom for 40 years, you could still be enslaved by your infancy mentality and have not matured into the revelation that Paul's trying to talk about here. If you were a Jewish child, this is a letter written to the Romans, a Jewish church in a Roman culture. If you were a Jewish child, you had a, a coming of age around 13 years old, give or take, right? Where you were taught the commands of God your whole life. And at this age, you're now responsible to carry out the commands that you were taught. The things that you had learned. But if you were a Roman, it was different. And Paul's utilizing this culture to speak a truth that you need to get today that I think may set you free. If you were a Roman child and you grew up in a Roman home, the father had the responsibility of telling you when or when not, what the time was that you were ready to take the responsibility of the inheritance that you actually already lived in. So you were born into the inheritance in the house. Your father had the authority over it. And at the time set, when he saw that you were ready to receive the inheritance, you would then go from a child to a son. This is why I can say you can be a child in the kingdom, but not be a son. When you went from a child to a son, you became a weothesia. A weothesia. A weos. A weos. Son, right? And when you took the responsibility that just been given to you, you became a weothesia. 
You became adopted from within your own home. This is different than our Western culture of adoption, right? But Paul is using this to say, don't be a slave. Be a son. For the time set by the Father has come. A weothesia. In the complete word dictionary, it says adoption. When thus legally performed, but a man in every respect in the position of a son by birth to him who had been adopted, who had adopted him so that he possessed the same rights and owned the same obligations, the rights and the obligations. Being a weos, a son, involves the conformity of the child that has the life of God in him to the image, purposes and interest of God and that spiritual family in which that he was born into. He went from Anepius to a weos. And when he accepted responsibility, he became a weothesia, adopted. Hmm. Could you imagine? This would probably speak loudly to a Jewish audience in a Roman world that Jesus came to his own house as he did to adopt those from within the house. Sounds like Romans 9, right? Not all that are Israel or Israel. But he came to Israel so that he could make some weothesia within Israel so that he can show who Israel was. As well as a Gentile audience that was not born into Israel, but they were invited to be adopted to her promises. Hmm. Friends, once the Nepios hears and accepts the responsibility and honor that the time set by his father had come for him, the father to adopt him as a son who is now responsible for the inheritance that he grew up in and that it is his turn to do what he watched his father do, he becomes a weothesia. The child of God has become a son of God. Amen. He now lives in the revelation that he is co-heirs with the firstborn son from the dead. What a fantastic Reality, not a concept. Galatians 4, 7 says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir of God. Matthew 6, 19 said it like this. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where their thieves cannot break in and steal it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So then where your heart is, there's your treasure, one and the same. Fathers, you better check your location of your treasury. Because if your treasure chest is not located in the hearts of your sons, then Jesus says in Revelation that you're poor, wretched, pitiful, poor, naked and blind. And I counsel you to run to him and purchase what you cannot afford before it's too late. Some of these men in this room are my sons, but first they were yours. They are our heritage. They are our heritage. And we should pay any cost to be co-heirs with them in the ministry that Jesus has honored us to carry out in this very short life, friends. I used to get really concerned because of the epidemic of orphan-minded children of God. 
until I realized that it was the will of God on my life to invite them in to participate in becoming a Weothesia together with me so that we could demonstrate to this lost world that co-heirs with Christ is not a concept, it's a kingdom culture. I didn't have a long message for you today. I really want to get to the part where we get to ordain Pastor Landon. But I have a question for you. What would happen if the older generation in this room would start to live? For what's going to outlive them? What if? Not in like, hey, let me call you. And it's like, good job, son. Your treasure is where your heart is. And your heart is where your treasure is. In the king, I've been at this for 24 years. In the kingdom, I've watched the Acts Church emerge. I have seen people sell their homes, move locations, pay all and give all so that they might be wherever the fire of God is. I got to tell you, saints, the fire of God is in this generation right here. And there is nothing you shouldn't pay to be co-heirs together with them. There's not a distance that you shouldn't consider closing. There's not a cost that you shouldn't consider paying. Yeah, your money, your time, everything. Everything. Why? Because your days are getting short, but theirs are still here. And you are called to be co-heirs together so that they might accomplish what God has given them to do. It's never been about you. It's been about those who have come after you. Amen. Check your treasure chest. It'll tell you where your heart is. But before we leave this subject, I cannot leave Romans 8 without reading, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen. For the creation waits with eager longing or expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. To corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Oh, wow. That one was for me. These pastors here are really, 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 they really, really love Luke 15. Like, really. And they really feed me with it. So I'm going to read a couple passages to you from there, and then we're going to get on to ordaining our brother. Luke 15, verse 11, as many of you see it as is, is the parable of a prodigal son. We beg to differ. It's more like a faithful, loving father. But there's many things in there because the scripture is multifaceted. Luke 15, 11, it says, Jesus continued. There had a man, and how many sons did he have? Two sons. And the younger one said to his father, stop, what's the other one? The older. He had two sons, a younger son and an older son. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
And you know the rest. He runs off, squanders it, comes back. The loving father opens his arms to receive him. And in verse 28, it says the older brother became angry, refused to go in. Could you picture this for me? Because how I'm looking at this is one generation and another. You got an older generation and you have a younger generation. And the younger generation is foolish and squandering what was given to them, but they only had part. Who had the other part? The older generation. The older brother had the other part of the inheritance, and it wasn't until they were in the same place that the father could speak truth to them. For the older brother became angry. You can replace that with jealous and everything else if you want to. And refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. We're not going to talk about legalism this morning, so we're going to move on. All these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Be better if he wanted to celebrate with his brother. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son. My son, the father said. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. What did the younger son just realize when he squandered his inheritance and came back? The same thing. Everything I have is yours. Welcome back. Excuse me, son? Son, everything I have is yours. But he had to celebrate and be glad because his brother, the brother of yours, was dead and he's alive again. And he was lost. Now he's found. You know what it doesn't end with? What ends up happening with the older brother? Well, that's for you to find out. Especially if you're in that category. We've been working through what it means to be a co-heir. But the truth is that we've been living in it. Together with one another. We get to live in this together. We get to be co-heirs of one calling. There's no junior or senior around here, friends. There's no junior Holy Ghost. So why would they be junior callings? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until when? Now. Until when? Until when? Now. Friends, there's a new breed of sons arising from the futility of franchise Christianity. They'll have nothing to do with it. They actually tear it down so that the kingdom of God might be built. Men whose constitution has been forged by the word of God and do not blink when they are praying for the baptism of fire that Jesus promised. 
They know that they are called to tear down the idols of the previous generation and to ascend Mount Zion and raise a banner for the father and his son. It is their joy to take the torch from their fathers who have held fast in the faith. And like Flint, they look forward to finishing what they started. It is their honor to become co-heirs together with their fathers. Landon Bryant is a man just like that. I said, Landon Bryant Ray is a man just like that. Do you agree? He is a son to some, but he is a co-heir to Devin, Kaysen, our families and I. Remnant Church today, do you agree that these things are true about Landon and his family? Remnant Church, do you agree that Landon Ray and his family are a pastoral gift to this body? Then wouldn't it feel right to recognize what's been evident for a long time? Landon, do you believe that God has placed you at Remnant Church as a co-heir of this work? Yeah. Uh, Is it your great desire to spend your life for Jesus, raising up true sons to propel them like arrows into the direction that they should go? To contend together in the kingdom alongside your brothers in these city gates? Landon, what would you say if I said, have you tasted of the age to come? Having tasted of the age to come, will you ever fail to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestations of the gift? Never fail. Having been adopted into the holy family, will you rest before every nation in the world is represented before its throne? I know. Will you be bribed, intimidated, or seduced away from the daily implementations of the undeniable truths of Scripture? I know. Well, won't you, you and your family come and stand up here? We are talking about co-heirs today, and I hope the word challenges you as it should. But the truth is, I'm preaching Landon's revelation. These are the things he feeds me with and tells me because this is who he is. Devin, put somebody on the piano and we're going to spend a little time with inviting uh, men who are pastors and elders up who have a word for Landon. And we're going to do so starting from the younger to the older. Landon and their family came to us five years ago, ish, that's not Yiddish, (laughs) Uh, I think it was the 39th week of our existence, (laughs) they walked in, on the 40th week Jamie walked in, that's neat. And they came in. And we're like automatically family, which is kind of a requirement here. (laughs) They are a beautiful representation of what this ministry produces, wants to produce. And we know that they will reproduce themselves.
and the demonstration of King Jesus all the days of their life. We know that. We love how they love the body. We love how they love us. We love how they love on Jesus through those things. Boy, do we need more of that. You agree? So if there's some men in the house that are elders or pastors and have a word for Pastor Landon, if you guys could uh, come up and uh, all at the same time, I guess. But we're going to pray over this family. work among you to do the younger to older thing. <laughs> I like being young. Lana, give me just a second here. It's hard to know what to say, you know, so speaking of sons and seeing your sons grow up to fulfill the calling that his mother and I recognized however long ago when he was so young, still a child, you know, any stick in his hand became a drumstick. Every, every beat, everything he banged was his drum set. And the talent that we recognize that God gave him was so evident. So to see you come into that calling, and you know, we're so grateful to Pastor Mike and Jen and Remnant Church for taking you and taking Emily and now your kids into this family and um, nurturing you and purposing, purposing you into your calling and recognizing the God-given gifts within you. You're continuing godly heritage. And Pastor Mike talked about heritage. You are just the family that you come from, the family that really comes from, and that you know your family represents, and your family represents so many pastoral people, ministry people, church leaders, worship leaders, um, in such an extended family, you are now part of a great legacy that you've entered into. Not only familial legacy, generational legacy, but now also the legacy of Remnant Church. And we recognize that, and we're so grateful for that, and, and so proud of you. And we know that life has been up and down, and you know through the journeys, there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of hardship, but we see God's hand evident on your life and we know that you are going to reach generations and that the story that you have is going to go and it's going to shine like a light into somebody's soul even if it's one person even as one person that is an impact for the kingdom but I think we all know 
Landon's influence is going to extend more than just one person. Amen. It's going to impact more than one person. So, so my scripture in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, he's going to use that light that God has birthed in you and brought you through, that light is going to share and spread to somebody else. And your mother and I are so proud of you. So proud. Amen. I'll jump in and go next. Landon, I'm also proud of you as a son-in-law. You make me proud. I'm proud to have you as the husband of one of my daughters. And whenever I was thinking about uh, what to say or, or speak over your life, there were, there were two specific things uh, that came to mind, and they're both around being a strong leader. Uh, it's been amazing watching you grow over the last several years into the, the leader, the man that, that you're becoming here at, as part of Remnant. And specifically within uh, Ephesians 4, it talks about the fivefold ministry, and there's different expressions of, of leaders. Uh, but the first thing that came to my mind to tell you is God does not make leaders on an assembly line. He doesn't have a factory and just crank out leaders that look like the next. Every single one is the same. That's not his way. He handcrafts, he customizes each one. You come from a long line of leaders, but you're, you can incorporate those things in, use that as the foundation, but you're your own man. You're not a Devon, you're not a Kaysen, you're not a Michael, you're a Landon, and that has weight. The second piece of that is the, is the fact that we need what you have inside. The body needs what you have. Uh, I was reminded of uh, the, the Jerusalem Council in, I think it's Acts 15. They were discussing some weighty matters, serious hard issues. What are we going to do? How, what, what's our path forward? And there were some very strong leaders that had very strong opinions, and they all voiced those opinions. But there was also a humility in laying down, recognizing what God was saying in each other. And it says James came up, and when he spoke, everybody listened. You need to have a voice. Speak your opinion. That's a strong leader. You're going to speak out what God's put within your heart, but a wise leader also listens to those around him, what he, the ones that God has uh, surrounded you with. So that's my charge for you, Landon, as the husband, for you, Landon, or for you, Landon, for you, Emily, as, as Landon's wife. As a couple, you are leaders in this house. Be your voice. Speak your voice. They need you. We need you. Amen. And I love you deeply. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Amen. It's a blessing to be here, brother. It's blessed to be here when your brothers were ordained. Amen. Seems like yesterday. <clears throat> As we were worshiping, the Lord gave some scriptures for you. I want to start. You know, in 1 Samuel 15 is when David's anointed. <clears throat> and what's incredible about that story and his anointing is that 
God didn't choose the most qualified, the most handsome that everybody expected. Relatable. But God chose the one who was obedient to his father and had a heart for the sheep. It said he was tending the sheep, doing what his father asked him to do. And that's your heart, Landon. That's the heart the Lord has given you, a heart for the sheep and to obey his father. And that what that produces is a man that says the spirit of God moved powerfully in him from that day forward. And the spirit is going to move powerfully in you. It has been and will to an increasing measure from this day forward. There's three things, Lord, laid on my heart that the Spirit is going to powerfully enable you to do. The first is in Judges. In Judges 14, it says in verse 6, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. See, the lion approached him and was going to attack him and his family. And the Spirit came upon him to defend himself and tear it apart. The Spirit of God is going to move powerfully in you that when the enemy tries to advance on you and your family, you will demolish it completely. You will tear it down and be an example of the power of God to destroy enemies and principalities to the name of God. And he's enabled you to do that. And you, use, you, and you do it with the word and the spirit in your hand. Secondly, in 1 Chronicles 28, when David is helping Solomon build the temple, fitting, huh? It says this, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave Solomon his, his son the plans for the portion of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all its surrounding rooms. You know, in this story, you are David, and the Spirit is giving you plans and wisdom to pass down to the next generation to build a housing for God in Denton and the surrounding area. He's going to enable you with, with plans that others don't get, but that he tells you, to pass down the sons so that the presence of God can be housed here and that ministry can flow from this area. And lastly, in Micah 3, there's a portion about how prophets are leading some astray. They're not feeding who they should be feeding, waging war against the Lord. Now, that's not the pastors and prophets in this house. It says this, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this. The God of the universe has empowered you with justice and might, and to speak to the surrounding area and rebuke sin and transgression against God. For what purpose? To make them a co-heir with you to point out the ways in which they must return and flee from being the older son and the younger son who have squandered what they have but become a co-heir with you. And he is giving you the words to speak to draw that out of them. And brother, you're already doing it. And he is increasingly doing that and he is going to move powerfully in you forever.
Love you, brother. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I want to start off as Devin and I speak with the Lord's given us to you guys with reminding you and even giving a little bit of the story behind how the Lord led us to this moment here today. And there was a point whenever the team as Pastor Mike and Jen, Pastor Devin and Jamie and Kendall and I were sitting on the back porch together and I had read that week out of Galatians chapter 2 Starting in verse 9, it says, just as somebody spoke a second ago, James, Cephas, and John, those deemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And then the night before our team meeting that we had, I had read this, and I had wept before the Lord because I had a revelation in that moment of where's James? Because it had already been prophesied over us. Things like Peter and John right here. <laughs> and I asked the Lord, where is James? And little did we know, and at least I, little did I know, he probably knew way ahead of everyone. Definitely did. The Lord was setting that up right there in the moment. In the following weeks after that, we had meetings deciding that, yes, most certainly, Landon and Emily weren't just gifted and anointed and all these things, but they were called to be a part of this team and for us to work together the rest of the days of our lives. And whenever I had the revelation that that was them, done, dude. <laughs> it's a done deal. I wept because first they were our best friends before they, we realized we were a team like that. What started in, as disciples and what started as, as those being trained up and equipped became so quickly more than that. It became family. It became one that's closer than a brother. And then we found out that we get to work together in serving our master the rest of the days of our life. And that was such a joy to our hearts. So we wanted to make sure and remind us today how we came to this moment because every step of that way is precious to us. And to say that we get to do this together with you guys is priceless. Let Devin share what he's got. Matthew 17. And verse 1 says, After six days Jesus took him, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Landon, I want to spend the rest of my days running after God's face with you. And then when God says go, we go. And whenever we go, we see him shining in all of his brilliance, and that's where our satisfaction, that's where our direction, that's where our encouragement comes from. I want to tell you that I am proud of you and the man that you have become. And it's because of the hunger that you've displayed in running after God's face.
You are a great shepherd. According to Psalms 23, and I believe this is going to be a psalm that follows your life every day. says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I remember a day where you came in here and you were wanting a lot. You were wanting much. You had much to want for, but God has then satisfied that in your heart and he's going to continue to do so. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Don't you just love when God makes us rest for a minute? And he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me in all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not only has the Lord been this to you, but you have been this to me. And not only has this Lord uh, rid fear out of your life, you, you have been used as a tool to rid fear out of their life. Not only does he prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies, you and Emily have the ministry of preparing a table for others to come and feast on what the Lord is giving you. I remember when you walked into this room with much fear of man but now the only thing that should fear you is the enemy because you're about to go wreak havoc on the gates of hell and i know it'll be done through the race we are so blessed to serve along with you and we're far from formal so these formalities are kind of strange to us but this is something to celebrate. This is something to be remembered, that this day, we call this um, official, and we are blessed because of it. We love you. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Landon and Emily, it says, in ver- starting in verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel excuse me, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of believers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. 
So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And this is where the Holy Spirit has been overwhelming us with the word of encouragement for you guys that every single thing that the apostle there that he wrote applies to your life. It applies to all of our lives. You're not going to be crushed. You're not, you might be misunderstood and rejected by some. You might be challenged and undergo difficulties, but this is what we're made for. And the fact that we get to do it together, the scriptures promise that we are even stronger whenever we're braided together like a cord, doing these things together. And I want to remind you guys that you are made for this. You will be misunderstood by many, both in this community and anywhere else that hears the message. But we do not distort the word of God. And because we don't distort the word of God and because we do it together, we can stand here possibly oppressed by someone. But the pressure in this moment, the suffering in this present moment does not compare to the glory that is in Christ. And we want to encourage you guys that you will see the glory of Christ in this age and in the age to come. We must only hold fast together the whole time. We love you guys. First, let me say, Pastor, that was a great word today. I'm glad I'm a son. I was Landon's pastor most all of his life. Not only his grandfather, one of his grandfathers, but also his pastor for, I dedicated him to the Lord. I baptized him in water. I had a part in a wedding. And all these times, we watched something happen to you that only the Lord could do. It sort of seems like to me that the Apostle Paul wrote something that would reach down to this time. And I read to you from his second letter he was commending Timothy for the great work that God had done in his life. And here's what he said about that. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dealt first in your grandmother, Carolyn, and your mother, Sherry, And I am persuaded also in you. It's amazing to me how God can do so many wonderful things. At your wedding, I don't know if you recall, 
two things I said to you. The two most important things in your life. The most important thing in your life was when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the second most important thing, Landon, was when you chose a wife. And now we read the third thing. It's a marvelous, happy, joyous occasion, but one of the most serious that you will ever walk into. to know that God out of all of humanity would reach down to this couple and say I need you and you're saying to him today we'll go we'll do we'll be I've been in the ministry 63 years. If there's one regret that I have about that 63 years, and please understand this, I learned a whole lot about Jesus. But the thing I didn't learn is that I didn't know him like he wanted me to know him. I was so busy in ministry, and all of it was good. I enjoyed it thoroughly. But when I sat behind my desk, Pastor, with my head bowed, having read the word about him, there was a longing. I think it was Paul that said that I may know him. I would recommend strongly and urge strongly you grow together in ministry, but don't forget to know him. Your grandmother and I love you. You know that dearly. We love this family. Hopefully we'll live long enough to see the fruit of some of your ministry as we've watched you grow in the Lord in times past. Your other grandpa's coming. He may tell more about you than I. At least... I thought he did. Yeah, there he is, or we'll go back to him one. Well, I just met you and I love you.
I'm not joking. I just met you and I fell in love. It's an awkward thing. I, in fact, hold this. One of the great things about Pastor Michael having started a church and allowing us to be here and the team that has been around is we don't, we don't have to answer to a pope. We can do what we want to do or feel led to do here. Uh, yeah. So, landed. I have only two passages that are for you and Emily, and they'll be quick. Uh, one was on my mind as I was coming up the driveway, and the other was a tongue and interpretation today, and I just want to be faithful to it. Uh, so in Acts 20, um, beginning in 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained within blood. What a tremendous responsibility. <laughs> like the Lord purchased these people. There's a few of them that I might have purchased, but I don't know that I would have picked them all. <laughs> and he loves them and he cherishes them. And it's an awesome responsibility. And that first step that Paul told the Ephesian elders at Miletus was the best one. Pay careful attention to yourself. Spiritually, the rest will take care of itself. Everything that you ever do for anybody else in the world will flow right out of your relationship together with the king. And then everything that you do with the local body that mirrors you and Emily will also flow into other congregations. And you're seeing that in your pastor. You're now, I don't know how we say this now. This has gotten really weird. We're like bobblehead dolls, uh, we're all equals. We're all pastors, and that was once my pastor, still kind of pastor. We, yeah, we're co-heirs. That was good. Way to steal one from Paul, Michael. So he warned these, uh, these Ephesian elders to pay careful attention to themselves. But the major issue that was facing them was false doctrine. Uh, ravenous wolves are going to rise up. Fifty years later, Jesus walks through that church in Ephesus. Those elders had taken care a false doctrine. He said, you tested those who claimed to be apostles and were not. Man, that's, Jesus gave them praise for it. But they forgot to pay careful attention to themselves. And uh, they had to be reminded of a love that needed to be rekindled. And, um, you know, it's a crazy thing that Jesus walks through this building. His lamp, stamp is, lamp stand is here, and his eyes are burning with fire. And he's your older brother, 
and you're both sons of God. <laughs> it's a complex family relationship. But what I heard in a tongue this morning was that he fully intends to help you with every step of it. I want to read you from Luke 12, and then we'll hand this microphone away. Luke 12 solely because if the Spirit took the time to prophesy it in a language that none of us know and then give an interpretation uh, that just invaded the human mind and said, pronounce this, I think we, we ought to pay attention to it. In Luke 12, 35, he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamp burning. I think honestly he's talking about the lamp of our eye here. But you keep the lamp of your eye right and the lamp in the church will stay right. It says, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast. He goes on to tell this entire parable with one of the most shocking. I still, honestly, I've been doing this 30 years and I don't understand it. He promises that if you keep your lamp burning, if you stay faithful, waiting uh, for the master's return, that when he returns, he'll seat you at a table and he will serve you. I, I haven't begun. I'm going to sit with him after the service. He might be able to explain that to me. I, after three decades, I cannot fathom the king of glory at his return serving me. Uh, it's got to have something to do with sonship and co-heirs. But the part that caught me, and where I want to end this with you. So he goes on and tells a terrible reality of those that don't keep themselves ready. He, in the very same parable, he promises to cut them into pieces. That's terrifying. And you're already terrified at having to figure out how to feed those that the Lord purchased with his blood. He's been training you from the beginning, though. He gave you a beautiful wife that was raised in a godly house. You remember how terrifying it was to realize you had responsibility for her to direct her? And yet love compelled you to do it, and you're getting better and better at it? Is he better at it today than he was when he first started? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's normal. And then you and I share something. You have a firstborn named Judah. Yeah. It's neat seeing a little blonde-headed boy at an ordination. You remember when you brought him home and you were terrified that you're responsible for his life and somehow or another you figured it out and he's still growing and you're getting better at it? I want you to hear this. Peter hears this parable and he asks a question really everybody in the room should have asked today about the message, but uh, you know, we do our best. In verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? I mean, I love Peter. He's like, is you talking to me or we? The parable had such a great reward and such a terrible, terrible downside. And such a simple instruction. Keep the eye of your lamp lit. Peter wanted to know, are you talking to us or them? 
And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? First, I want to point out Jesus didn't answer that question. Peter wants to know, is it me? Was Peter cult? Yeah. Did Peter love Jesus? Yes. Was Peter appointed to be a disciple and called an apostle at his calling? Yeah. But even Peter, while walking with Jesus, is not quite sure who he is. There's a discovery process in this sonship, a big one. Ordination is not the end of something. It's the beginning of something. I've been pastoring pastors long enough now to tell you they, they learned far more after they were ordained than before they were ordained. It's a little bit like teenagers in your house. They're so smart while they're there. When they get out in their own churches, suddenly uh, they have need of application of the lessons you gave, and they, they learn. Jesus asked Peter, who then is the wise and faithful servant? Peter didn't know that he was that man yet, but Jesus knew he would make him into that man. And the last recorded words from Jesus to Peter in John 21. He said, hey, you're going to feed my lambs. You're going to tend my sheep. You are going to feed my sheep. Who then would be the wise and faithful servant to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Jesus was actually talking directly to Peter and everyone else. But Peter became everything that Jesus said that he would be. I want to encourage you at your ordination. We're just now catching up to what God has said since you were in utero. Yeah. This has been a purpose on your life always. You've been functioning like this. Pastor Hutchinson and I have been talking about this for years, not months. This is just the body of Christ recognizing your function that you're already serving as within the body of Christ. Just like you got better with Emily, you got better with Judah, and you're being perfected as you humbly ask without every word for me or for them. And he's like, <laughs> I'm building you. He will turn you into everything that he desires from your life. Okay? I love you. I'm excited for the two of you. I love the ministry that y'all are building. And if you do it together, you cannot fail. Okay? If you stand together, you can't. The Lord will use your brothers and use you and your brother's life to sharpen and shapen each other. And you'll pull everybody into your brotherhood. I know that's true. Amen. Father God, thank you for these anointed men. Lord, they are our future hope. Lord, may you bring into their life the things that are necessary to shape. Lord, may they learn to lead out of their weakness that your strength may be evident. Lord, may they be boldly transparent. 
Yes, Lord, we're in agreement. Mighty God. We're in agreement. Lord, we say with weapons of righteousness in a right yes. and left hand. Yes, Lord. Lord, may this yes. couple and this team act as one to advance your kingdom. Lord, we even claim Judah now. Yes. Lord, that this line would continue. Yes. That of all the ministers that Landon is responsible for raising up, Lord, we claim Judah now. Yes, Lord. Yes. Lord, may he stay in a circle just like this. Yes. Yes. And Lord, may he be proud of his father. Lord, may he admire and want to marry a woman like his mother. Lord, we are calling out their future here and now. Lord, we are asking that you would raise up a line of pastors that will not bend yes, and serve. Lord, <laughs> Securely seated sons. And it causes us, Lord God, to be so as well. Mighty God, we thank you for their family. We thank you, Lord God, for the love that they give to this body. They are a gift to our body, God, and we receive them as such. Yes. Father, we, we thank you for the authoritative words that they'll speak into our hearts. Yes. The prophetic vision that they'll bring, Lord God. Yes. Father, yes. the encouragement, yes. Lord God, that they'll give to us. Mighty God, that'll cause us to mature, Lord God, and be one body. Yes. One body of true sons. Yes. Yes. Father, it's our great honor to serve you. Yes. Father, may we serve you like you serve us. Teach us, Lord, how to love one another yes. and how to love, Lord God, on you while doing so. Yes. yes, Lord. Mighty God, what a precious, precious gift. A precious, precious gift. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. While we are praying and trying to discern the will of our Father for our next steps, I recently discovered Psalm 101 as kind of a charter for David's kingdom. <laughs> he wrote Psalm 22 about a suffering king, 23 about a shepherding king, 24 about the king of glory being received into the temple. And I didn't realize it, but the next psalm that he wrote chronologically was Psalm 101. Or at least that's what the scholars say. And when I thought about the word that he possessed at the time, you know, he had Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and a couple books along with some of Samuel's writing, you know, but didn't have everything we have. And he distilled it down. <laughs> Listen how perfect this is for this group. 
I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you. O Yahweh, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. And he who walk, walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. It's one thing to say, keep watch over yourself. It's another to find out how. <laughs> I would suggest that you dig in to Psalm 101, that it becomes for you a personal charter that you remember from the time that you were ordained. And you guys are each other's easier. Man, how hard is it to determine sometimes whether to reach out to somebody or stand back because you can't be associated with the yuckiness coming out of the heart. It's those, you'll get to wrestle with that together and with a team. <laughs> you'll get it. He makes seven statements about things he will not do. And he makes seven statements about things he will do. <laughs> and those, I've been studying this one for a couple months now. But i love to see what you'll do with it over the next three decades. Four decades, Amen. five decades. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Well, pastors, how would you like to close your service? Oh. Everybody stand with us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all saying amen. Come on, lift your hands. We're going to pray. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that you're raising sons in this house, Lord. Lord, shepherds, Lord God, evangelists, teachers, apostles, prophets, Lord God. Lord, for the greater works of service, Lord God. Lord, this will be a house, Lord God, who grows up sons, Lord. Lord, for the purpose of advancing your kingdom, Lord. This is what we do. This is what we love to do, God. Lord, and we thank you today, Lord God, that we get to celebrate another shepherd, Lord, who is walking in the function and calling, Lord God, that you've called them into. Lord, we are blessed. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Go have lunch with somebody. Caleb, turn that iPad on. <laughs>